listening to a paid commercial program. The opinions expressed are solely those of the program producer or sponsor and not those of NRG Media LLC. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty 1290 Coil mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. And welcome to America's Healthcare Challenge. We have got an unbelievable show lined up for you with all kinds of goodness on health policy, healthcare, and the industry. And we're going to be talking some presidential politics, talking some finances as it relates to our nation. The show is called America's Healthcare Challenge. Been on the air for three years, going on four, and we have been fortunate to uh, develop uh, some great contributors here on the program. And you're going to meet uh, three of them here today. It's going to be a a very packed house, and it's going to be awesome because we're going to uh, take a deep dive into some of these issues that we've been talking about on the last uh, last few weeks here on the program. Uh, 402-342-1290 is the number, 402-342-1290. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to have uh, Adam Matar from Matar Pacific will be joining us to talk about some of the futuristic things happening in healthcare, uh, in particular, uh, artificial intelligence. I've said uh, before many times that uh, the machines are taking over. Well, there's some really interesting things happening in healthcare as it relates to artificial intelligence. So we'll be talking about that as well as uh, a topic that everybody uh, that calls in uh, always is interested in learning more about, which is free market uh, solutions. What can we do to have more free market principles involved in healthcare? So we'll be talking about that. Also here uh, by my side here in live in the studio, we've got Alan Hager, our co-host extraordinaire. You've uh, met him many times. We've also got Trent Majors joining us uh, on the program. Uh, We're going to be talking about some of the uh, issues related to um, delivery reform and uh, the debt. I'm going to give you a a quick rundown of my top story that, that caught my attention this week before I introduce these guys. And that story was actually a testimony in a in a um, in a Senate hearing this week, and it was from uh, a co-testimony, somebody from uh, the Brookings Institute, as well as somebody from uh, this University of Southern California. And the theme that they were discussing was basically everything we've discussed on this show. In that uh, major healthcare consolidation is happening, uh, which has driving up uh, healthcare costs, which have were supposed to be. Uh, addressed in the Affordable Care Act. Unfortunately, as I see it, there there's no cost containment really in the Affordable Care Act. We've te- spent some time talking about provider reimbursement and how in the next five years there's going to be a major shift towards uh, value-based reimbursement or that uh, quality-based reimbursement, meaning that uh, reimbursements for healthcare providers will be halfway uh, tied to some sort of quality measures and the first organization this week I can't I saw uh, came out showing that uh, they are losing money on that that front because of 
the being able to uh, not being able to hit those numbers, the uncertainty of of understanding where uh, those dollars are going to come from, and other issues such as patients having higher health care deductibles. And so, Alan Hager, uh, I just thought that uh, I sent you that testimony over the week, uh, and you got the opportunity to look at it, I believe. Yes. And didn't it? Uh, I was just sitting there eating wings on Wednesday night, which I like to do, half price wings at Tracks. Right. Pretty yep. good place, you know. And I'm sitting there reading this testimony, and I, I just was almost shocked in that it was uh, exactly almost what exactly what we've been saying. And uh, I guess we don't need a PhD to say it. No, I mean. This is absolutely everything that we've been talking about in the realm of mergers and acquisitions and consolidation inside the healthcare industry, as well as the insurance markets. And everything we've been talking about, these guys talked about uh, only a year and a year and a half late. And if you listen to America's Healthcare Challenge, you're usually ahead of the curve. And everything that we talk about, we we are able to foresee the future on this show, unlike any others. And we don't need a Ph.D. to do it. The key points in the testimony, I just wanted to make the listeners aware, and you can read this. It's uh, from the Brookings Institute. And, of course, as I pull up my phone, <laughs> it falls down. Their key points were healthcare markets are becoming more consolidated, causing price increases for purchasers of health services. So that would be healthcare consumers. Yep who are now seeing higher deductibles. This trend will continue for the foreseeable future despite antitrust enforcement. We, we've <laughs> talked about how there needs to be some sort of, of role, I think, uh, in what's happening. Number two, uh, they argue that uh, it's, it's health care has been increasing for some and is now extensive in many markets, some from M&As. And another important part is uh, the get, getting rid of these uh, smaller competitors. And so this is uh, bringing up something that we've talked about on rural health insurers. And then finally, uh, the environment is also challenging small insurers. And we've seen some co-ops in particular go out of business. Uh, we saw that news recently that they are have not been able to pay back that billion-dollar-plus amount. Right. right. And then one other point uh, that they uh, discussed was hospital mergers that are substantial and showing mergers leading to higher prices, although without any measured impact on quality. So even though they're consolidating in the hospital industry, it doesn't affect quality. Right. But right. it does lead to higher prices, as we have said time and time again. Let's get Trent Majors here into the program. Welcome to America's Healthcare Challenge. Great to have you on here. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't send you this story, so I apologize for that. But uh, as you're kind of hearing us talk about this and you've heard the, the program before, uh, kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, with all this consolidation and you've got an insurance background, you know, how do you see that impacting that industry? Well, not well. Thanks for having me on, by the way. But um, so you're you're really getting into some of the supply side on on healthcare and new hospitals, new clinics. You want to become a new doctor, you, you really can't even do it. You're you're stuck in uh, a really a bureaucratic nightmare to be able to do it. So there's a demand side issue and there's a supply side issue, right? So you talked about some of those uh, exchanges that are all going out of business. You know, surprisingly, when you have fifty million dollars in revenue and a hundred million dollars in expenses, you can't make money. <coughs> So I guess that's a big surprise to a lot of people going on right now. And $49 million of that was a subsidy that was taken from somebody else in the first place. Right, right. And we've talked about that, too, on the 2017 uh, when those essentially insurance bailouts, if you will. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but it's it's meaning that uh, in 2017 that in the Affordable Care Act, there is uh, provisions built in to reimburse insurance companies 
uh, through uh, four high-cost individuals. So if they're uh, over a certain amount, I can't remember the exact number, but the government will pick up at 80% of the tab. And despite that, and their payments are a little bit late, but despite receiving those payments, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, for example, is still losing money uh, on the individual insurance market. And you said there's something happened uh, recently in the reinsurance marketplace uh well, and there's a lot of interesting things in reinsurance that's being affected by uh, negative interest rates. So uh, European European banks have uh, have some issues with negative interest rates, and a, there's a, a an international reinsurance organization. The name escapes me right now. I believe it's the second big, uh, second biggest uh, one in the world that is actually putting cash in the bank and buying gold uh, because of the negative interest rate issue. Interesting. Well, you know what. We- you wonder, it's like, are they going to need to cash in those chips uh, to bail out these these bigger insurance companies? Because if this government payment goes away in 2017 and they want to keep this law going, and Trent, we've talked about this before and that, uh, this isn't going away. <laughs> Entitlements uh, don't go away. Name one, right? Yeah, they Can, just get bigger. So that being said, what, what uh, you know, is there a big enough reinsurance con- company out there to even take on that risk uh, if the government doesn't do it? Well, the government is the reinsurance company right. in, in that scenario. So basically me and you, we are the reinsurance company. Hmm. And you wonder why uh, there's a rage against the machine. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, we're going to talk a little presidential politics here coming up uh, next segment. And then we're going to uh, obviously uh, get some uh, more conversations going on the technology side of things with artificial intelligence and uh, doing some more free market uh, principles here in in the program. But at any time, you can call us 402-342-1290. That's 402-342-1290. Make sure to check out our Facebook page.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge. And when we come back, more with Alan Trent. And coming up next, Adam Matar. Donald Trump is where he is because of a rage against the machine. A rage against the machine. Rage against the machine. Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising healthcare costs? I'm Sean McGuire and I founded ED Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. I offer custom services including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. 
Are you feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or angry? Is your child or teenager acting out? Healing Tree Counseling wants to help. Located at 10th and Dodge, Healing Tree offers individual, family, and couples therapy. Bill and Laura are exceptional at working with children and adolescents. Ask around. They have a great reputation. Healing Tree accepts most insurance companies. They offer flexible payment plans and are confidential. Their personalized service and unique office sets them apart from larger agencies. Visit HealingTreeOmaha.com for more information. Now that you've heard of Shaw McGuire and HealthReformExplained.com, maybe it's time for his team to assess your company's situation. We have innovative strategies to help navigate this new maze created by the Affordable Care Act. For more, go to HealthReformExplained.com. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Um, don't be a fool. I pity the fool. Uh that uh, especially if they're a business owner, uh, April Fools, this is not a joke, but to April 1st, penalties do begin for business owners uh, in the segment of 50 or more full-time equivalents. And there's this interesting thing called the uh, AIR up there, or the Affordable Care Act Information Report. And we're going to spend some time at the end of the end of the program going over that a little bit more in detail. Uh, but it, it sets things up for our caller. We've got Patricia here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, there's some penalties uh, coming out, uh, especially with tax season. Remember, the individual mandate of the Affordable Care Act uh, has come down the line. And uh, Patricia had a question at, here on 402-342-1290. Good, uh, good afternoon, Patricia. How's it going? Uh, good. Um, I had a question about uh, the fact that uh, currently I have no insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, I also am unemployed and have been for the past year. Um, I uh, saw that I'm going to get a penalty because I have no insurance, and I wondered if at this late date, if I signed up for Medicaid, if I was even eligible, if that would cancel out that penalty. Right now I get about $8,000 total just in dividends and interest from my savings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as an income. I think that's that's one strategy. Have you checked in into that? If you qualify for Medicaid, uh, that that could help solve that problem. The other option that you might be able to mm -hmm. to get is uh, it's called a qualified exemption. Uh -huh. uh, there are several exemptions um, in the Affordable Care Act, uh, and they've actually uh, become uh, quite, uh, I guess you could say, uh, friendly. Not friendly, but uh, there are more options than one might think. And so uh, we're going to get a list of qualified exemptions. Can you pull that up, Alan? And uh, as we're, we're talking, we'll try and uh, give you an, an idea where you can, can research that. So uh, to address your question, uh, I would look uh, probably into Medicaid, number one, but then number two, if you can't get that. And our state did not expand Medicaid, so that uh, might be a challenge, mm -hmm. uh, depending on, on where you are. Yeah, I'm, but, in, I'm in Nebraska. Okay, okay. And so if you go to healthcare.gov, they have a whole list of qualified exemptions. Uh, they're called hardship exemptions. Okay. Uh, Alan, what you got them in front of you. What does it say yep. here? So uh, there's a group of, no, there's a number of uh, exemptions. The first one would be income-related exemptions. So uh, the lowest price coverage available to you through the marketplace would cost more than 8.5% of your income. Uh, you don't have to file a tax return because your income is below the level that requires you to file. Uh, there's also hardship exemptions uh, and there's a whole host of different type of hardship exemptions that are covered under that uh, uh, 
list, homeless, evicted, shut off notice from utility company, domestic violence, death of a family member, filed for bankruptcy, you had medical expenses you can't afford to pay for, uh, you experienced unincreased ex uh, increases in necessary expenses, uh, you know, there, you were determined ineligible for Medicaid because your state didn't expand Medicaid. So that the might be an exemption right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be the one. Um, your individual marketplace was canceled after June twenty, uh, June thirtieth of twenty thirteen. Um, there's a whole host of ways around uh, that. There's health coverage related exemptions. There's group membership exemptions. There's uh, other types of exemptions. Religious exemptions. Yep, religious exemptions. If you're incarcerated, you're a U.S. citizen living abroad. Um, so I guess that would be our suggestion is um, healthcare.gov healthcare and look for or just Google uh, healthcare.gov qualified exemptions. Or yeah, a it's healthcare.gov slash health dash coverage dash exemptions where you can go and it will list all of the different type of exemptions that you would that would be covered under your your situation. OK, thank right. you so much. All right. Thanks for You're calling, welcome. Patricia. Have a good one. Thanks. So, so to get out of another, uh, to get out of, a, one, of the, the, one of the new ACA fines, you've got to go to jail uh, or change your religion. <laughs> Some yeah. where's the drum? You know that's true. Like, um, and they're they're changing these. I think in the future, and I know, um, for example, special enrollment periods too. Like, if you moved, I believe you could even get into a special enrollment system, and people were gaming. The system in that they would really they would yeah no imagine that happening right you know but to your point Trent I mean that this is the season P penalties are really starting to uh, come in and I and I think we've had this discussion before people say that they want to pay the penalty but they get absolutely nothing in return for it and they're going to hate to have to write that check well yeah they they were there was the vid the uh, the picture. Of the guy who said, you know, I could have paid fifteen hundred dollars a month, but instead I got a twenty three hundred dollar fine uh, from the IRS for not having insurance. So, you know, it's two percent of your income, or six hundred ninety five dollars, and nine times out of ten, it's going to be that two percent because it's the greater because of. of the greater of. Right. But, so, but and, and that cost is just premium cost, right? Because right. we're not talking about the deductible that you're going right. to have. So I right. mean, you actually get into it, and you're like, oh, I have health insurance now. And then you go to the doctor, and they send you a bill, and you're responsible for everything. Right, um, yeah. So if you're on, if, if you don't have a lot of income, uh, your cost didn't go down. No, you, they went up just the deductible alone. I mean, we, we're seeing ten, twelve, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 deductibles now. There are out-of-pocket uh, maximum protections in the in the law, but they uh, go up every year, and it's tied to, to some number, CPI plus something, I believe. Right. Uh, which is what the Consumer Population Index. Consumer Price Index. Consumer Price Index. And they, they um, this year, I believe the out-of-pocket maximum was like 6200 for an individual and around 10000 12,000 12, for family. Well, that number's going up next year, and I just saw it's going to be $7,100. For individuals, so we're going to see now people having to come with seven thousand dollars of of exposure before those benefits really kick in. Well, if you're lucky enough to have a, a low deductible plan today, Good uh, luck. that's going to change. Yeah. Right. Well, just think about this: the, the, the you know you've got the health reimbursement uh, plans that have been deemed Ill, illegal by the federal government, and they charge a hundred dollars a day uh, per employee for fining if you have those type of plans. Uh, you know. 
the days of the $250 deductible to Trent's comment are over, man. You're not going to find them. And if you do, they're called Cadillac plans and your company or your insurance company will be fined for that. Interesting point on Cadillac tax. I saw a headline this week, Obamacare's Cadillac tax will hit Chevy class families the hardest, according to a study. Uh, Jonathan Gruber. Oh, remember that guy? <laughs> Can we find some Jonathan Gruber uh, highlights? Do you remember that on Obamacare? Uh, uh, what we're seeing, and I'm seeing this um, happening right now, lots of employers, big employers, employers of choice, are going to be threatened uh, by this Cadillac tax now in 2020. It was going to be in 2018. And when it kicks in, it's going to impose a huge non-deductible 40% surcharge on premiums above 10800 for individuals or 29000 one hundred for a family. Good luck finding a plan for with premiums under that. Mm-hmm. So a, a new study found that those with incomes between thirty-eight and one hundred thousand dollars will bear the brunt of the Cadillac tax. So yet another um, people saying, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and all these problems, and, and, and we really didn't talk about it in 2010 when we were implementing this. Uh, is we're we're adding. We're adding bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy. So problems people were talking about were created because of bureaucracies put into place in in the forties. Really, um, tying you know health insurance to to employers was was something that came back to bite us, and we really kept that. So you know instead of having uh, catastrophic plans that could go across state lines, which is what we needed, you know the government outlawed them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So you got some highlights here. Okay, just like the people. Transparent lack of transparency is a huge political advantage. And basically, you know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. But basically, that was really, really critical to getting the thing to pass. And, you know, it's the second best argument. Look, I wish Mark was right. We could make it all transparent. But I'd rather have this law than not. So it's kind of like his reporter story. You know, yeah, there's things I wish I could change, but I'd rather have this law than not. So this was one of the lead people that put the foundation of the ACA together. And you remember that highlight? <laughs> oh, that shows what he thinks of American people. You're stupid, and we don't care about it. Yeah, him. we don't care if you're what you want. We're going to give you, and we're going to shove it down your throat, whether you want it or not. Well, that's because they're smarter than us. Well, yeah, that's Washington D.C. talk, man. <laughs> so, anyways, Drew, he was the, he was calling it. Uh, he said, quoting this article, calling it a tax on insurance plans rather than a tax on people. Well, you know, it's a tax on people who hold those insurance plans. I mean, these guys uh, don't really care. And you wonder why, um, you know, we, uh, you know, how much in debt are we? Is it $19 trillion. $19 trillion? We're going to break that down. $19 trillion is right. Well, and we were at $9.5 trillion in 2008. So we're at $9.5 trillion in 2008. We're at $19 trillion today. So they spent more money in the last eight years than up to that point? Yep. Is that... Interesting. 402-342-1290. Oh, you've got the U.S. debt clock. $19.1 trillion. Oh, my number was outdated from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the interest payment uh, on our federal debt is, is closing in on being the third largest expenditure of our government. Uh, just thought you should know about that. When we come back, Adam Matar going to be joining us. Adam is uh, principal of Matar Pacific. We're going to be talking about uh, some issues of like, what if we did deregulate healthcare a little bit? What would that look like? And actually, there's several examples of this happening already uh, that you might already be aware of. We'll be right back.
we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Research shows moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life. But thanks to two men in a truck, it doesn't have to be. They have everything you need to move. A courteous professional staff who will customize your move, which includes a no-obligation estimate, a schedule to fit your convenience, and all the necessary packing supplies. And two men in a truck will help you watch your budget, too. Don't stress. Let two men in a truck handle your home or business move. Go to twomenandatruck.com. Two men in a truck selected Best of Omaha for nine years straight with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. They say every business should have an elevator pitch. Here's ours. We are E.D. Bellis, a consulting company specializing in healthcare reform, helping businesses navigate the new law. For more, go to healthreformexplained.com. E.D. Bellis is a healthcare reform consulting company with valuable information that is up to date and easy to understand. We have solutions to manage compliance, minimize penalties and taxes, and all other options. Check out healthreformexplained.com. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty1290Coil mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out our Facebook page, so it's facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge for all of our latest segments on our SoundCloud page, which we are right about at 500 segments there, Alan, yes. aren't we? And, uh, and growing. It's a, it's a, it's a great resource to, uh, you know, I like to listen to it when I go for a run or, or something like that, just to, it is kind of weird <laughs> listening to myself sometimes, but I like to, to make sure that we're bringing a good product. And, uh, we're joined by uh, Trent Majors here on the program. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the, the debt situation, and right in a moment we're going to bring in Adam Matar from Matar Pacific. But uh, what was that number we found uh, during the break as far as unfunded liabilities that we're looking at? Un- unfunded, uh, U.S. unfunded liabilities was $101.5 trillion. And our GDP is what, like uh, uh, 17 maybe? 17. So it's almost uh, what six, yeah. six, seven. Well, we talk, well, in the gross debt to GDP ratio is one hundred four percent. So the only way you can fix these problems is to grow your way out of it, right? And and we have we have leaders who have policies that 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 put hurdles to growth. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to grow your way out of at at two percent at two percent GDP growth is what we've had for the last seven eight years, and if we look at a possible recession on the on the horizon, which which will happen probably within the next three years to be uh, to be conservative. And now you'd slapped on a, a huge healthcare expense onto individuals. Um, we could we could be in trouble. Well, and Democrats say that four percent growth is 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 never going to happen, and that two percent growth is great. What's I, wrong? I, I want to yeah. throw up every time I hear them say that. Let's all strive to be mediocre. Yeah, that's their that's their opinion. Not mine. Well, and if you look at some of the problems that we've got it coming into a recession, it, uh, 2008, the, the, the interest rate was like 4.5%. What are we at now? Quarter? Quarter. A quarter percent. Uh, there's not a, bullet, lot of, not a lot of bullets left in the gun. Right, right. Great point. And to, to uh, what you said, Trent, on having to grow our way out, that's a perfect setup for our, our next guest, uh, Adam Matar, CEO of uh, Matar Pacific, uh, talking about some of the, the free market things. Uh, good afternoon, Adam. Hope all is well. Um, we're talking about how we can grow our way out of it. Uh, how are you doing today and what's on your mind? 
I'm doing great, Sean and Trent. Thank you for having me today. And yeah, that's an interesting statement that, that you're discussing regarding the unfunded liabilities that the government's carrying through Medicare and Medicaid. And you know, it goes into what we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks privately regarding the free market and and the influence the government has on that. So we have an interesting situation in the US where the the government it regulates at the state level, at the local level, and at the federal level uh, how healthcare is provided, what access means, either through insurance or to providers. And they do so in a couple of different ways, right? You have the insurance side where the annual increases are regula- regulated at the state level. Then you have the government itself at the federal level uh, playing in arguably the free market so to say, with their Medicare and Medicaid and the influence that they have in that respect. But I I would argue that it's not necessarily a free market that we have to do most of the health care in the United States because of the level of influence that they have. What we have is the monopolistic situation here through most of the health care in the country because of the government's influence. And that has a, a, a number of, of unintended outcomes that, that we have to watch out for as the American public. And we have the price controls on one side, on the insurance, right, at the state level. And anyone that understands basic economics should understand what that means when, when an entity has the ability to control the prices. If they artificially set the prices too low, they can increase demand, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that in theory, you think would be a good thing, right? If they're able to lower the prices, then more people would have access to it, but there's there's hidden costs with that. The the timeliness that people could get into healthcare is is a hidden cost that we all have to incur with this. But there's also the risk of people resorting to the black market when they don't have access. When there's too much demand for something and they cannot get, get access to it in, in a timely manner, there's that risk that they go outside of the system. What would that look that's like? That's not this where would they even go? They would go to licensed healthcare providers that are willing to provide care on the side in the black market. And, and care providers might have an incentive to do this because it's where they would have the ability to recoup the costs that they would not otherwise be able to get in a marketplace where the prices are controlled, right? So they could hypothetically charge more on the black market to provide quicker access uh, or better quality of care. Or... Uh, unfortunately, people in need of care would go to unlicensed professionals to help them out. And if you have a, a quality issue, you know, you know their their health is at risk when they do something like that. But yeah, maybe a good example would be years ago, '60s abortion clinics. Years ago, maybe today nowadays, uh, I haven't kept up with the regulations at state by state. Uh, when it comes to abortions, but you re- when you reduce access, people will find a way if they need to. The marketplace will exist. The question is, w- would it be one that's out in the open and-, and regulated and has professionals working in it, or is it going to be one that is a black market? So, you know, that's one of the risks that you come with, with the price controls. Now, on the Medicare side, you know, it's interesting. The, the theory there is that with insurance, 
when everyone collectively pulls their funds together to go and buy care from providers, hypothetically, you're at a better negotiating position and, and you could play in the marketplace as a buyer in the space. But again, when, when it's the government that's involved doing it, it's doing so as a monopoly. And if you think the insurance companies are large, well, you guys touched on how large the government is in this space. An insurance company might be worth you know, something in the range of the billions, whereas the health care that the government has unfunded was, what did you say, at $1.1.5 trillion? Oh, our unfunded liabilities are over $100 trillion. $27.6 trillion of that is Medicare. Yeah, so, you know, if you're an insurance company in this space, it doesn't matter if you're one of the largest companies in America, you're, you're still a, a small player compared to the government. Well, now your profit depends on how, how many lobbyists you have and how many friends in D.C. you have. And some of them have the best right. ones. <laughs> well, when you talk about the free, the, the, the free market, uh, the ACA was put in place to help people who were uninsured, right? So it was going to be more affordable, right? That was, that was what the name states. Uh, so it probably helped some people way on the low end, right? People who would have been helped if there would have been a catastrophic issue. A free market really, it helps the downtrodden. So, but what you really did was you just made it more expensive uh, for everybody. Right. And at the end of the day, I think yeah, this was more health insurance reform than total true health care reform. Sure. Well said. Sure. The, the dynamics of a monopoly in any space, and I've, I've seen this in, in real estate as well, too, is that they could paradoxically be both the, the high price in the marketplace and the low price because they essentially control the marketplace. So the, the uniqueness is, is that they inhibit innovation. So if you had a free market system and there was an opportunity for, some, for somebody to have an arbitrage position and, and make more money, say, in healthcare versus some other type of, of investment sector, they would invest into it and you would find margins decreasing at the same time. So you, you would come ideally within an equilibrium. Or you would start seeing them compete on quality, or potentially both, and that's what that's what innovation brings. So you have the ability to compete on price, quality, and speed, or as we would say in healthcare, access, timely access. So, Adam, talk so, talk a little bit about some of the AI stuff that uh, you're familiar with um, that that could actually do some good, reduce some costs, and 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 make healthcare uh, better for all of us. Well. Before we go into that, I, I do want to, to talk about where we see a free market in healthcare because one does exist. And I think it's important for your listeners to, to understand what that looks like and know that, that there is an alternative out there. And interestingly, it's the U.S. that also provides free market healthcare, and they do so with elective surgeries. So there, there is a, an interesting report that I read recently from the National Center uh, for Policy Analysis, where they, they showed a study of a 20-year period where inflation rose about 64%. Most med medical costs during that same period rose between 92 and 118%. But cosmetic surgery only rose at a rate of about 30%, less than half the rate of inflation. And by the way, cosmetic surgery has seen its fair share of innovation and quality improvements during the same time period. So I, I find it interesting that out of all the healthcare markets in the world, the U.S. has a prime ex 
example of a command and control system in most of healthcare, and then a free market example as well, too, at the same time. Hey, can you hang out for another segment? we got to run it up here against a break. Yes. All right, sounds good. More with Adam Matar, Matar Pacific, Trent Majors, and Alan Hager. I am Sean McGuire here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Uh, engage us here on Facebook. Uh, just search hashtag America's Healthcare Challenge. And when we come back, uh, we're going to uh, get into that artificial intelligence point and a little bit more of uh, how do we innovate in healthcare to grow out of this. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising healthcare costs? I'm Sean McGuire, and I founded E.D. Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. I offer custom services, including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. E.D. Bellis is a healthcare reform consulting company with valuable information that is up-to-date and easy to understand. We have solutions to manage compliance, minimize penalties and taxes, and all other options. Check out healthreformexplained.com. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. And welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. We're going to Oregon. We are in Oregon talking with Adam Matar of Matar Pacific out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we got Alan Hager and Trent Majors here on the program. How you guys doing today? I'm doing great. You're doing good? I, I love being here. This is always a great place to be on Saturdays. Reporting the news on health care and your government. That's right. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for uh, joining us. Um, Thank you, Sean. Uh, we were talking about uh, some innovation in health care. What are you seeing? Uh, all right. So artificial intelligence is going to change everything. Uh, it, more ways than we could even imagine, and this is a wonderful thing. Medicine as a profession is maybe 100 years old in this country, and useful data, like what we find in the electronic medical records, is, is still very new. There is a lot that we don't know, and there is a lot that we think we know, but we might actually be wrong about. And AI will help us uh, with these problems. They, right now, it's being utilized to help find correlations in the data not just between symptoms, but even between uh, the medicine that we provide and how we provide care. Uh, they're, they're, we're on the forefront of discovering 
secondary and tertiary uh, outcomes for, for procedures, uh, for medicines that we have, uh, and so on. It's a very exciting time. But what, what's particularly interesting to me is the deep mind competition and the artificial intelligence that they use for that to basically beat the world champion at Go. And, and this is significant for a number of reasons, because it's unlike traditional artificial intelligence. Typical AI requires knowing having the answers in advance, and I'll get into why this is important for healthcare. So in order to build a traditional AI, it kind of looks like a data tree that, that says, if this, then this. So you can see why you have to know the outcomes in advance in that type of scenario. You can't build the data tree without knowing what the outcome would be to go on to the next, if, then, the, if this, then this portion of the tree. So if you ask a traditional AI a question and it produces the wrong answer, and you ask it the same question again, it will still give the same answer. And that's, that's not necessarily a good thing in healthcare. What, what this artificial intelligence does, another AI that's like it that does not necessarily require knowing the outcomes in advance, um, it, it allows for healthcare providers uh, to potentially identify misdiagnoses early on. And so the difference there could be one misdiagnosis and changing direction versus misdiagnosing hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So the the potential in terms of improving the quality of the outcomes and potentially even saving lives, um, I think will be significant at the end of the day with a new type of artificial intelligence that's coming into healthcare. What about like 3D printers and printing organs? Do you see that happen? Yes. Yeah. There, there's, there are researchers and healthcare providers uh, doing that right now. Uh, I believe I read recently uh, somebody did that with a heart or with uh, components uh, of a heart, and I, I think it's fascinating. And there, there's an image I, that I think was most popular in the media where you could see an ear on the back of a rabbit. Or, or a uh, or a mouse that they could then uh, put back onto a person. Hmm. We're at the forefront of a lot of technology that I think will make a significant difference in healthcare right now. So some of this stuff could could really be uh, along with maybe some of the biotechnology, some of the nanotechnology, inputting AI into into some of those things could really be you know the next electricity to to help us. You know, actually have some some terrific expansion. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we we have the ability to simulate and scale with artificial intelligence at a rate that we uh, we would not otherwise be able to do if it were just a, a team of frankly human professionals collaborating to analyze the data and, and to derive outcomes from it. But, and the speed matters. You know, if if you have. Uh, a major condition, you you don't want to wait six months if you don't necessarily have six months. And the, the speed in which we innovate in healthcare could be the difference of life or death. Absolutely. So bringing in artificial intelligence to, to all of these aspects, I, I think, will make uh, a big difference in the, the quality of life for most people in the world, uh, the longevity of life as well, too. Well, Adam, wouldn't it allow us to really personalize medicine and 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 
and not only just cause a lot of prevention, uh, but just make you be able to live longer, healthier, because it's made for you. That's right. Yeah. So right now, uh, healthcare providers will will basically look at a snapshot of, of your condition, whether it's on a medical chart or if you're inside of a hospital. They'll, they'll look at what's available at that point in time, but they don't have a lot of history with you. They don't have they don't necessarily have the time to read the history or even the data is not even provided to them. So all they get is a snapshot when they walk in to read the data, and that's it. And so they base your probable outcomes and the suggested care for you based on your demographics and with a, with a slight blend of your own personal data. It, it, it's part art, part science. Well, Adam, this right. is Alan. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. There's a, a company based out of Portland called Acalex. And they've de- they they are involved in artificial intelligence. And I'm just wondering, since you're out in Oregon, if you know anything about them, because what they're doing is they've uh, created a adaptive learning tool that helps caregivers deliver care by providing guidance based on a patient specific profile. Mm-hmm. And so I, when, when we I talk about, know that, go ahead. I don't perfectly know the company, but I I think that's a phenomenal tool. So um, imagine if 90 percent of the diagnoses that a doctor would provide or the recommended care, they already know the answer to once they get the information based on your demographics and based on your own chart. Well, if they already know the answer to it 90% of the time, to have a tool that uh, uh, that assists them in providing that those types of recommendations, that means that a care provider could focus on really high-value uh, care and problem-solving that a machine still cannot do. It, it could potentially reduce reduce or limit paperwork that a doctor has to do, um, uh, unnecessary time with a patient. It can improve the access to care and improve the quality of care at the same time. Right. It puts the, it puts the focus back on taking care of the patient rather than all the other things surrounding mm-hmm. the patient. So, so Sean, from a, from a policy standpoint, how do we actually facilitate these types of things? Be- because to be honest, the, the ACA and those types of things, they are focused on the lowest common denominator. They are mm-hmm. not focused on innovation. They're not focused on, on new ways to move us forward. It's, it's focused on bringing everyone to even. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we do from a policy standpoint to, to really facilitate this? Well, I think there has to be some sort of uh, incentive for innovation in the industry. And I think that's probably the best first step. And I don't know how you would make that what that would look like, whether that would be well, you know, you know, tax credits or money. Well, it's kind money. Of, yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like when we talk about the hospitals being, you know, given dollars for uh, con- converting to electronic medical records through the omnibus or through the, uh, uh, it, the latest know, bill, the latest one, yeah. the latest bill or through the high tech law or through the affordable, the, uh, uh, the uh, stimulus bill. Back in 2008, you know, they put money in there for hospitals to maneuver to EHR. So I think that maybe something on the lines of that or, you know, when they were moving towards meaningful use, you know, some type of reimbursement or incentive plan. There has to be an environment where people want to do a startup in Silicon Valley or wherever based on solving a problem in healthcare. So I have a challenge for you then. Look at the size of the healthcare as a percentage of the economy and and look at other industries like, say, retail or shipping, and then look at the amount of venture capital dollars going into each one of those sectors. You're going to find that healthcare 
has a disproportionately less amount wow. of capital going into the innovation than other sectors. You need to figure out why that is. How do we get that capital off the sidelines, I guess, and in, in, into the into that industry? The, the capital wants to go into the space. But they don't yeah. understand it because it's so complex. Well, it's not a free market system. That's part of the challenge. It's a command and control economy, and so you have to operate differently. The, the challenge is that you, you almost have to deal with the incumbents and with the current regulatory structure and then, uh, of course, the the negotiating power of Medicare and Medicaid. Again, I go back to where's the incentive to innovate? Well, when you have regulations that are killing innovation, you know, you're going to have – I mean, that's all about policy. That's all about right. getting the right people in the power to open up the free markets – and the power of the American mind taking over and getting things done because we are the most innovative society on planet. There is a lot of opportunity. I mean, it's just like you said, it's so massive. Well, I mean, we have some real experiments. Oscar is a is a company out of New York that is a startup that that started because you know facilitated through the uh, some of the ACA stuff, and you know they're expanding so and, and they're growing pretty quickly. So we do have a couple of of things happening. Um, I know in the PNC market that a lot of capital, to Adam's point, a lot more capital wants to come in, like it's dying to come in because it's looking at the size of the market uh, right. and going. Like you just need we a little. Can p- disrupt, yeah, yeah. We can disrupt this, um, but it's not as fun as creating a social network, I guess. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a little more complex than that. The, the startups that that have attempted to get into this space have found uh, it to be very challenging to drive innovation because they would go, say, to the, to the main customers, the, the incumbent systems that, that are involved. Well, what incentive do those systems have to adopt the innovation? It goes back to, to the policy. It goes back to um, who is paying for it. So let's talk about telemedicine as an example or, or remote medicine, whether it's over email or over a phone call. How many insurance companies, maybe even Medicare and Medicaid, I haven't looked it up, how many of them, actually reimburse providers for doing that. Not many. Well, there you go. And in all likelihood, I would suspect, again, I haven't looked this up, um, that they're following the market that Medicare and Medicaid sets or what they buy. Well, and you hit the nail right on the head on that. It's Medicare and Medicaid that are setting the marketplace. Right. And not... The The incumbents are entrenched, too. Yes. I mean, and there's no incentive to maintain... Fight the profits that they've got. To innovate, you, you you almost have to make the existing incumbents irrelevant in the space that you're entering into. Either you're providing care to uh, to a population that they don't see profitable or, or worth growing into, or or they find already to be at a loss for them, so they're, they're happy that you're entering that marketplace, or you're opening up brand new markets that they're not even in yet. Well, and I would I would bounce off of that and say, you know, there are hospitals that may not be able to afford having, you know, large robots and artificial intelligence in their hospitals or their data centers. But, man, they sure can't afford the cloud, and it's really driven down the cost. And if you start to look at things like that, you know, at the end of the day, we need more innovation in those uh, areas. We need some innovation in robots' bedside manner. Yeah. Yes. Is it going to be like the robot from Star Wars? That one had pretty good bedside manner. The the gold one. Which one was that? C three PO. Yeah. Really? 
You think Goldwood? Didn't you think that'd be, that'd be a good? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Adam. He's kind of whiny. I don't know. Right. Yeah. He's right. always been whiny. Well, maybe not then. Adam, any final thoughts here? We're running up the uh, end of the show. Thanks again for coming on. You know, I think it's an interesting conversation to talk about free market and innovation. They, they're more tied together than people think because it goes back to incentives and policies. And those that control the marketplace are the ones that create the incentives uh, for both innovation as well as, as for uh, quality improvements and price reduction. And it, it, it's a very complicated system. The U.S. healthcare system it does not operate like a free market like other parts of our economy. And I, I think once people recognize that, they, they can start to better understand how to maneuver within it and, and understand why they can't afford, in some instances, to, to get the quality of care that they need. It, it comes down to economics, and it comes, it comes down to policy. Right. Well, that was Adam Matar from Matar Pacific. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. Predictions, guys? Uh, yeah, at- Artificial intelligence, and as we've always talked about on this show, AI and IT are the wave of the future. And, you know, I saw an article. We've talked about hospital mergers, the one in West Virginia especially. Mm. Uh, the uh, legislature is actually looking at legislation to avoid the FTC uh, on that, and uh, it's cleared several regulatory hurdles here. So I would predict that that merger will go through and harm the people of Western West East, Eastern and Western Western West Virginia. I'd predict for the long term that our lives will continue to get better. You think so? Because that's the type Amen. of uh, species we are. That's right. Adapt and overcome through technology and other means. Through our brains. Through our brains. That's right. All right. And you did your part by improving your brain by listening to the program. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to check out America's Healthcare Challenge. Make sure to uh, like our Facebook page. If you like uh, these segments during the week and we will see you next time.